0: Welcome to the Better Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the morning service of Sunday the 2nd of October 2011 entitled Samson the Weakest Man in the Bible part 1 and the Bible reading is taken from Judges 13 verse 1 through to Judges 14 verse 15. Here's brother Chris Mansfield. Okay, Judges 13 please. Uh, before we start Um, If you know what Judges 13 is before you turn to it, we're going to be looking at um, the life of Samson. And um, who has heard from the pulpit a sermon preached on Samson? One person, yeah? Two people. Now, just before we start, these kind of stories are not really... They are good Sunday school stories, but we can read them as if we're in Sunday school. And, you know, David and Goliath and Moses and the burning bush, and especially with me, with my children, and Jane um, teaching the children, um, we have to, we can, what I'm trying to say is God's book is a spiritual book. And God's book, we can read it with children's minds because we've been taught this in Sunday school, and we can get stuck in that rut of thinking, oh, David slewing Goliath with a sling, that's just for Sunday school. And Samson and Delilah and all that kind of stuff, that's just for Sunday school. But um, hopefully as we go through this uh, study, it's um, hopefully going to be this Sunday, Steve's preaching next week, and then two more Sundays. So there'll be three uh, separate sermons right the way through Samson's life. And we're going to be looking at Samson's high points, Samson's low points, Samson's obedience, Samson's disobedience, God's blessing, and God's deliverance. So, if we can just, um, we're going to be reading two chapters of scripture, so if you're able to stand for that long, please do. If not, then there's no problem, you can stay seated. So if we start in Judges chapter 13, so if you can stand, please do. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines forty years. And there was a certain man of Zora of the family of Dan of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and bare not. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto the woman and said to her, Behold, now thou art barren and bearest not, but thou shalt conceive and bear a son. Now therefore beware I pray thee, and drink no wine or strong drink, nor eat anything unclean, for lo, thou shalt conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come on his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite. Um, unto God from the womb and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. Then the woman came and told her husband saying, A man of God came unto me and his countenance was like the countenance of an angel of God, very terrible. And I asked him um, from whence he was, neither told me his name. But he said unto me, Behold thou shalt conceive and bear a son and now drink no wine, nor strong drink, neither eat anything unclean For the child shall be a Nazarite to to God from the womb to the days of his death. Then Manoah entreated the Lord and said, O Lord, let the man of God which thou didst send come again to us and teach us um, what we shall do unto the child that shall be born. And God hearkened to the voice of Manoah, and the angel of God came again unto the woman as she sat in the field, but Manoah her husband was not there. And the woman made haste and ran and shew her husband, and said unto him, Behold, the man hath appeared unto me, and he came unto me the other day. And Manoah arose and went after his wife, and he came to the man, and he said unto him, Art thou the man that spake unto the woman? And he said, I am. And Manoah said, Now let thy words come to pass. How shall we order the child, and how shall we do unto him? And the angel of the Lord said unto Manoah, Of all that I have um, said unto the woman, let it let you be, let her beware. Uh, she may not eat anything that cometh of the vine, neither drink nor wine nor strong drink, nor eat any unclean thing. All that I commanded her, let her observe. <clears throat> and Manoah said unto the angel of the Lord, I pray thee, I pray thee, let us um, detain thee until we have made ready a kid for thee. And the angel of the Lord said unto Manoah. Um, Though thou detain me, I will not eat of thy bread. And if thou wilt offer a burnt offering, thou must offer it unto the Lord. For Manoah knew not that it was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said unto the angel of the Lord, What is thy name? That when, that when these saints come to pass, we may honor, the, honor thee. And the angel of the Lord said unto me, Why askest us thus after my name, seeing it is secret? So Manoah took a kid and um, a meal offering, and offered it un, um, on a rock unto the Lord. And the angel did wondrously, and Manoah um, and his wife looked on. But it came to pass, when the flame went up um, unto heaven from off the altar, that the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar. And Manoah and his wife looked on, and fell on their faces to the ground. But the angel of the Lord did no more appear to Manoah, nor his wife, than Manoah knew that it was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said unto the wife, We shall surely die, because we have seen God. But his wife said unto him, If the Lord uh, was pleased to kill us, he would not have received our burnt offering and our meal offering at our hands. Neither would he have showed us all these things, nor would he have um, this time have told us such things as these. And the woman bare a son, and uh, she called his name Samson, and the child grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to move on him in the times in the camp of Dan between Zorah and Eshtolah. And Samson went down to Timnath and saw a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. And he came up and he told his father and his mother, and he said, I have seen a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. Now therefore, get her for me to wife. Then his father and his mother said unto him, Is there neither a woman among the daughters of thy brethren? Or among all of my people that thou goest to take a wife of the uncircumcised Philistines, and Samson said unto his father, get her for me, for she pleaseth me well; for his father and his monies knew not that it was of the Lord that he sought an occasion against the Philistines, for at the time the Philistines had dominion over Israel. Then when Samson, um, then went Samson down and his father and his mother to Timoth, and came to the vineyards of Timoth, and behold, a young lion roared against Samson. <clears throat> and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he rent him as he would rent a kid. And he had nothing in his hand, but he told not his father nor his mother what he had done. And he went down and um, talked with the woman, and she pleased him well. And after a time, he returned and take her and... Um, turned aside to see the carcass of the lion, and behold there was a swarm of bees and honey in the carcass of the lion. And he took thereof in the hands, and went on eating, and came to his father and his mother, and gave them, and they did eat. But he told them not them that he had taken the honey out of the carcass of the lion. So his father went down to the woman, and Samson made there a feast for so young the men to do. And it came to pass, when they saw him they brought thirty companions to be with him, and Samson said unto him, "I will um, now put forth a riddle unto you. If you can certainly um, declare it to to me within the seven days of the feast and find it out, then I'll give you thirty sheets and and um, thirty changes of garments. But if you cannot declare it to me, then you shall give me thirty sheets and thirty changes of garments." And they said unto him. Put forth thy riddle, that we may hear it. And he said unto them, Out of the eater came forth meat, Out of the strong came forth sweetness. And they said, Cannot in three days expand the riddle. And it came to pass on the seventh day, That they said unto Samson's wife, Entice thy husband, That he may declare unto us the riddle, he burn thee, um, and thy father's house with fire. And you called us, Take that we have, is not so. And we'll stop there. That's where we're going to try and get to today. Thank you. So we're going to be looking at Samson and his, uh, Samson's life story, you might say. And we've read the beginning of Samson's life and his marriage there. And um, what we're going to do is, as best as I can, go through each relevant point that applies to us. So Samson was the last judge of Israel who lived in the time of Samuel. Samuel, if you remember, was the prophet. Israel, in the book of Judges, was some of um, Israel's darkest moments in history. Um, Time and time again, we read, as in Judges 17.6, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And that's a theme within the book of Judges that if they thought it was right, they thought, okay, we're going to do it. It was at this time when Israel was being oppressed by the Philistines for their own wickedness and for their great sin, and God had delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for punishment. Also, within the book of Judges, the whole book, there is seven cycles of Israel sinning and then Israel being redeemed by Barak or by um, Gideon or by Samson, all these different people. So Israel sin, then they get delivered, then they sin, and that happens seven times within the book of um, judges. And this is a period of nearly 400 years which is all the way through the book of Judges. And God raises up mil- military uh, champions uh, to throw off the bondage of sin and restores the nation back to pure worship but soon the cycle begins again and the spiritual temper um, temper grows cold and they fall again into sin. Um, and we have a good example um, of what I'm trying to say, if you want to turn to Judges 8:33, 33, um, this is just after Gideon dies, and straight after his death, we have the phrase that they did evil in the sight of the Lord. God delivered them from great victories, and then Israel returned back to sin. So we have seven of these cycles within the book of Judges, but we're going to look at Samson's life now. So if we look again into uh, to Samson, we're going to start within um, Judges 13. And as we have just said, Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And because of this evil, he delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. And that's in verse 1 of chapter 13. <clears throat> now, Israel needed God's salvation. And because their enemies was the Philistines. In verse two, it mentions Samson's dad, Manoah. Now, we all know what Noah means. Noah means rest, Manoah means at rest. So it's got, as Noah's name meant a positive thing, rest. Manoah's name was a negative kind of aspect to it. It means he was at rest. Um, Now, most names in the Bible give us an insight into the person's characters. And here we have Manoah from the tribe of Dan. Now if you turn to uh, Genesis 49:16, it says there, if you'd like to turn, you don't have to, I've got the scripture here. It says that Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. So Manoah was from the tribe of Dan and the tribe of Dan, their job within Israel's community or different tribes, their job was to judge Israel The word judge means to rule, to judge, to deliver. It also has got a slight meaning towards actual salvation or saviour. So the tribe of Dan were to judge Israel, but Manoah, as his namesake points out, he was at rest. He wasn't stepping up to where he should have been and judging Israel, and the tribe of Dan wasn't judging Israel properly, and everyone was just doing what they thought was right in their own eyes. So. As we said, Manoah's name means place of rest, and he was very happy not to step up to the mark and be used of God, and he was, he'd rather be where he was, as in namesake, at rest, and not really too concerned about anybody else but himself, maybe. And that's just what his name means, at rest, Manoah. Um, and as we've now been, uh, if you like, some of us thrown in at the deep end, We need to look at this ourselves and as we, we might have a name like whatever, you know, Cyril or something, but you might have the spirit of Mano within you and you know what you should be doing, you know what your gift is, you know what God's speaking to you to do, but you'd rather be at rest. And you know, God is patient, God will wait for you, but he will only wait so long and he will only give you opportunities so long before he thinks, well, I'm going to move on to somebody else who's going to move, who's going to stand up, who's going to do God's work. I've given you, I'll give you a, a time of um, trying to provoke you to do what I want you to do, and you haven't done it. So that work needs still to be done. So I'm going to move on to someone else. And this is really what happened with Manoah. Manoah should have been judging Israel as one of the tribe of Dan. And he didn't want to do it. He was just there. His name's sake. He, re- he was at rest. So we find now that God um, is going to choose someone else to do His work. But before we get to who He actually chooses, we need to look at Noah's mom. Now, um, in verse three, we've got the mention of Noah's mo- of uh, of uh, Samson's mom, and um, it says there that Samson's mom was barren, and. Um, barrenness in regards to Israel in some aspects was a judgment. They were barren because um, within the pagan people that were around there was a lot of child sacrifice and God kind of caused the people to be, the, the, the children of Israel's ladies to be barren because he didn't want them children being offered to false gods Molech and Dagon. They were common in their child sacrifice and um, if you've got time, it does talk about that in Deuteronomy 7:13 to 14, about the barrenness is a judgment from God. And this may have been what happened not just to uh, Samson's mom, but maybe other um, ladies within um, Israel, that they were barren because of their the nation's sin. Not individual sin, but a nation's sin. And then if the children were born, they were possibly offered as, sacrifices to false gods. So the barrenness of Samson's mom and other women could be a a result of Israel's great, great sin. And as I've said, child sacrifice was common to pagan deities and to worshiping pagan gods. But we read, God was going to put this right and God was going to give Samson's mom. She's going to open the womb and she was going to have a son. And Samson's mom was going to conceive and give birth to a son, and he was going to be called Samson. If Manoah, the the husband, wasn't going to move, then God was going to use someone else that was going to move. Um, Samson would have been also part of the tribe of Dan because of his father. So Samson wasn't really being asked to do anything outside of what he should have been doing anyway. As we've read in Genesis there, 49, 16, The tribe of Dan were to judge Israel. So the only thing different with Samson was that he was given the vow of a Nazarite from birth. The vow of a Nazarite was common in Israel, and we'll look at that in a minute. But the unusual thing was that he was given this from God before he was born. So even Manoah's mom, if you like, was under that um, way in which she'd got to live, to not defile Samson in the womb. Um, the Nazarite vow is found in number six and we're gonna look at that later. But if you was wanted to set yourself apart for God in that time, you could go to the priests, offer a sacrifice, cut your hair off, and you would not be able to cut your hair again until you would come to that period of time where your vow was up. You could not drink any um, strong drink, any, any grape juice. You couldn't eat raisins. You couldn't eat grapes. Anything like that, and that was part of the, the Nazarite vow. And it was a time of seeking God, and ask, and trying to set yourself apart to do God's work. But with Samson, it was delivered to him to his mom before he was born. And um, some people are born to privilege. Many have advantages, and they never come to much. And others are born to nothing and rise above. A great success. So we're at a place now where God has given this lady a son. She's told him that he's gonna start to deliver the Israelites from the snare or the bondage of um, of the Philistines. Now we need to look at Samson now. Samson's name means little son. Now there is an aspect of him being named after a false god. But there's also the aspect of him being light. And Israel needed light. They were in the midst of severe darkness. They were in the midst of severe sin and oppression. And if we look at this as God was sending them some light, Samson means, if you like, sunshine. God was giving them some light. And that's why maybe his name was Little Sun. Um Israel's were just dark. They were constantly sinning. Seven times they were delivered from sin, and then straight away they would receive salvation and then back to sin. And we as Christians, we are the light of the world, aren't we? And we're in the midst of a a dark nation, whether wherever we're from, wherever we are. And just as Samson needed to be that sunshine into that dark place of Israel's sinful life, we need to be that light and reflecting God's glory into the places that we go. So our name isn't Samson, but we need to be light as, as Samson's name means, sunshine. And we need to be reflecting God's glory wherever we go and trying to win people to that light. And as we said, Samson's name was sunshine or little sun. But because of his vow, his outward appearance would have been a very different thing. From his birth, God had put him in a position where he was going to be raised in this vow of a Nazarite, which means separated or set apart. And just a little side note. you know, this, if you remember, is Old Testament times. And some of these aspects we can apply to our lives now. Some of them we can't. And the vow of a Nazarite is an Old Testament thing. Vows, I believe, really, are Old Testament thing. In Matthew it says, let your yes be yes, let your no be no. There's no, I'm going to promise. You know, it's, it's, we're expected to be like that. We haven't got to keep vowing that we're going to be like that. We've made a commitment to God that we're going to follow him that we're going to be easily taught as his disciples. And we shouldn't be making Nazarite vows. They're Old Testament things. We've got more, more of a blessing to receive from the Holy Spirit in his direction than trying to make these Old Testament vows. But we are in the Old Testament. We're going to draw things from this that do apply to us and us to the church. And um, as we've said, Samson's name meant sunshine, but his outward appearance would have as he grew would be a very different thing he was um to be called to a vow he was to be separated he was not to have any wine he was not to drink any uh, fruit juice he couldn't touch raisins, grapes um he couldn't touch a dead body animal human he, he couldn't go anywhere near a dead body and um he must never cut his hair and if we read there it says to the day of his death he mustn't cut his hair and um in 1 Corinthians 11:14, it says there, Doth not even nature teach you itself that long hair is a shame unto the man? Now, the long hair and the way Samson was to look was an outward sign of how Israel was. Israel were dirty in their sin. They, wasn't, um, they were unkempt in the way that they lived. And though, even though Samson's name meant sunshine, the outward appearance of Samson, he would have been like a long-haired fugitive. He would have been um, crazy hair, crazy beard, and he would have looked um, basically like a fugitive, like someone that wasn't clean and wasn't um, someone that you not want, want to approach. And God here, as we've seen, that long hair, Is a shame unto the man, even though his hair was a sign of his vow, it was more of a sign of Israel's deep depravity, deep sin, deep uncleanness, for want of a better word. And um, as we said, he would have been more like a, a fugitive. And as with Samson, if you remember, there's other people that had special positions in God, that they were also called from birth. Now, we're going to leave Jesus because he's on a different realm. He, he'd got a pre-human existence. So the only other person that we've got that was actually called, if you like, from birth was John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was also set apart from birth, just like Samson. And if you remember, he actually received the Holy Spirit before he was born, And um, do you remember when Mary went to visit her cousin Elizabeth and John the Baptist, he leaped, didn't he, in the womb, recognising Jesus in the womb of Mary. And, I mean, that can only be the Holy Spirit. Babies can't recognise anything. That must have been the Holy Spirit that recognised the Messiah and the one that was going to prepare the way for the Messiah. But the point that I'm trying to make is that God called John the Baptist, God called Samson before they were born. Very special positions that they were called to. And um, in Luke 28, it actually says that John the Baptist was the greatest ever prophet. Now, we also need to point out that, as we've said, some of this applies to us as the church and some of this doesn't apply. Now, The giving and the receiving of the Holy Spirit in the Christian is very different than the giving and the receiving of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. We have got the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That is our seal of our redemption. When we are saved, God gives us the Holy Spirit as our seal of our inheritance. Basically saying one day, the Holy Spirit, that's your seal. You're going to be literally saved from this earth in the rapture or if you go through the grave, you will go to heaven. And that's our seal. But in the Old Testament, <clears throat> it was a very different thing. <clears throat> the Holy Spirit was put upon people for God's work. It wasn't an indwelling. It was a resting upon. And John the Baptist, if you remember, was still Old Testament. He, wasn't, he was in that transitional period between Old and New, but he was still Old Testament. And John received the Holy Spirit while still in the room, but this doesn't mean that he was saved in the womb now you may find in your evangelism that people say i've been a christian since i was born or i've been a christian since i was 3 or i've been a christian now i don't know whether they are scripturally basing this on the fact that john the baptist received the holy spirit from birth but i wouldn't put it past them if they want to twist things round um we when we are saved, we need to be of an age that we can recognize sin, that we can recognize we need a Savior. Whether that's 7, 5, 99, whatever that age is, a child cannot become a Christian. So just because the Holy Spirit was given to John the Baptist in the womb doesn't make him a Christian. It's an old te- we're in the Old Testament still. This Holy Spirit was put upon him. It wasn't in him to bring about regeneration. It was upon him. Now, if someone does say to you in your personal evangelism or if you're on the church outreach of, you know, my first question is how long, if they say I'm a Christian, I say, how long have you been a Christian? And if they say I got saved when I was 29, 35, 7, if they say since I've been two or since I've been christened or since I've just been, I'm born a Christian, you've got to platform them to think they're not a Christian. They can't be a Christian if they're born a Christian. So you can start to evangelize to them so john the baptist um was under the old covenant the holy spirit was upon him just like it was going to be upon moses just like it was upon samson and we've got to remember that this was old testament now we do sing this song in the new in the church we've sung it here and if you remember in psalm 51 11 um david says take not thy holy spirit from me now if we just turn there let's have a look Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. And we sing that. We've sung it here. I've sung, sung it in lots of churches. Now, as a Christian, God's presence can be tainted from us because of sin, but it can never be took away from us. God's Holy Spirit can never be taken away from us because we can't. What can we do that can make us not safe? That's kind of saying that the cross and Jesus' blood isn't big enough to redeem us from our sin if we can do something that's going to make that blood not efficient enough. As Pastor Larry says, is that propitiation for our sin. Every demand of the law was met at the cross. So even though we do sing this in the Christian church, you need to be aware that the Holy Spirit cannot be taken away from us. This is David saying, God, I need your Holy Spirit upon me to rule right. I need your Holy Spirit upon me. And it was a resting upon in the Old Testament and not an indwelling thing so I thought it was important to point that out to do with the Holy Spirit that Samson is going to have the Holy Spirit upon him not within him the saints have got the Holy Spirit within them that should motivate their members it says in Romans you know to to good things and um, it's a very different thing so just um, when you do read the Old Testament, try and be aware of what things do apply and what things don't apply. So if we look in, um, back to Judges 8, um, 13, 8 to 24, we've got the, the place now where we come to God actually coming and giving direction to um, Samson's mom and eventually to Manoah. And Manoah is confused over the whole thing, what's happening. And like I said, you can, if you just want to reread that, just as I'm speaking, in um, Numbers 13, 8 to 24. And the Bible suggests because of the name of Manoah, which means at rest, this may have been the reason <clears throat> that God spoke to his wife. Now, Manoah was in such a position where he was not trying to do God's will or, and the name of Noah is only found here. It's nowhere else in the Bible. So as as fathers and as husbands, if you are stubborn enough to think that you are got it all right, you know, you need to be aware that you might be separating yourself from God and that you, God is trying to speak to you from your wife or from a sister in the church because you've raised yourself up or... That you're too lazy to even listen to God, which is what might have been the problem with Manoah. So also, ladies are a lot more sensitive to the Holy Spirit, believe it or not. with you know, they're also Eve was the first one to be deceived, and we the Bible says that they are the weaker vessel in a spiritual sense, but God can sometimes speak to the ladies in a church or speak to the ladies you know, the mom or the, the wife at home first because they're more sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And especially if the man isn't living every he should. God's going to try and reach that family through the wife. And this is what happened here with um, <clears throat> Manoah. Manoah was not there, first of all, you know. And the next thing we find that God is speaking to his wife. And Manoah asked the man of God, through pair to teach him what to do with Samson and the Nazarite vow. Now, Manoah and Israel had come so far away, they'd forgotten God's ways and God's direction. And in Numbers 6, the Nazarite's vow there. They should have knew what the Nazarite vow was without any instruction. The only difference was that it was from birth. That they should have knew <clears throat> what to do. If... If Manoah Manoah wanted to take that veil, he could have took it. So we should have knew what to do. But because they'd come uh, so far away from God's ways and they were doing things, everything that was right in their own eyes, they'd even forgot what this veil was and what its teaching was and what they should and shouldn't do. And God graciously gives them that list, if you like, of what to do. And in um, verse 9 of uh, chapter 13, God answers Manoah, Manoah's prayer and he comes again only to find him not there. So if his wife runs to bring him back in verse 11 and Manoah arose, it says. And I just put there, maybe he was even asleep. He says he arose, you know. I mean, I don't know whether he arose from his chair, but um, maybe he was even, you know, so dozy that he didn't even, he wasn't, he got any spiritual guidance at all. And, and his wife says, come and see this God man or this angel. <clears throat> Manoah asks in verse eleven, "Are you the man who's spoken to the to my wife or the woman?" And he sa- he answers, "I am." Now Pete's uh, got, went through the "I am" on a two Sundays ago, was it? Now this, even this, these two words should have given more of an insight to Manoah who he was speaking to. Um, "I am," is from the book of exodus when god starts to reveal himself to moses and it basically means i will prove to be oh, i will prove to be that's what i am means it's kind of like saying i'm it's basically saying i'm god i will prove to be oh, i will prove to be but Manoah couldn't quite discern what was going on these words i am in hebrew should have stood out to him in his ears and thought man this is something special here this is not just a man, this is God. And as we said, I am is, is from a very, play, very special place in Israel's history. And God, God said from the midst of the burning bush to Moses, I'm going to deliver my people from the bondage of Egypt. And Manoah didn't quite put all the pieces together at this point. God has said, I am. That's like, you know, saying Jehovah or Jesus Christ. Or, and Manoah was so lazy in the way that he's walking with God that he doesn't quite get what's going on. Um, And when God speaks to us as his saints, we need to be aware that we might have come away from God's ways and unable to hear God's name and God's direction. And it's very important for us to know this book as best as we can because this is where God's going to speak to us. He's not going to start saying to us anything different than what's within the pages of this book. He's set his seal on this book. This is everything that we need for teaching and doctrine. And anything that he tells us to do is going to come from this book. And it's not going to come from some hallucination and vision that God's going to do a new thing. God's going to do the same things that he's been doing from centuries. And we need to be able to discern God's direction through his word because this is the failure of Manoah. God is speaking to Manoah, trying to direct him. And because he doesn't know God through the scrolls or through history of Israel... He's unable to discern God's ways. God, he doesn't know what a Nazarite vow is. The I am statement doesn't stand out to him. And he's lost God's direction. So we need to know this book as best we can. You know, it's our sword. It's our bread of life. It's the, it can wash us. It says it's like water. And we need to know it as best we can. So, you know, this is the encouragement there to know you, know the Bible as best we can. You know, and to, to study it. You know, it's a study to show yourself approved. And that's not study in a negative way, in case error's going to, you know, find that little nook and cranny or the devil's going to get it. It's study in a good way so that we can know God's direction. And if someone comes to us and's got a problem or um, personally we need direction, we're going to know what God has said before to people in this way and what God has said um, in situations in very similar places. And we can look in God's word and find it. So Manoah asks one more question, and if you like, um, the angel of the Lord um, repeats the direction to him. And um, after this, Manoah asks the angel of the Lord, would you like something to eat, basically? And um, God says, I can't eat, you know, I can't eat. Don't delay me anymore. I can't eat, but prepare for me a burnt offering, a meal offering and a burnt offering. Now, even at this point, Manoah should have realized that he's talking to the angel of the lord you know you don't offer anything burnt offerings than to god you don't offer them to any angels or anything else and um i think at this point Manoah starts to realize that something very special here is he's talking to him and it's not just a man it's not even an angel and um and then Manoah says he starts to realize and he says when these things come to pass Tell me your name so I can honor you. And in verse um, 18, God says um, something very special here. He says, my name is secret. Now, the Hebrew root word here is paolo. And this is the root meaning of the word. It basically means something wonderful or secret. And we know from Isaiah 9, 6, that Jesus is that wonderful counselor, Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. But it's the power, wonderful part there, the secret part. That is what is being revealed to us here. So we've got in there in the word there, secret. But with there's more to it than just secret. It's like wonderfully secret, if you can understand. It's like too big for you to understand. Um, and God is revealing. An aspect of his name to Manoah here, and um, at this point now, Manoah and his wife they worship the angel of the Lord, um, and the this is called in in the Old Testament a, a Christophany. It's an Old Testament representation of the second part of the Trinity, the Lord Jesus Christ, and that we've got. That's what we've got here. So, um, and then you know God's pleased with them, and He accepts that burnt offering, and He leaves in the flames of the burnt offering. And in um, verse 22, Manoah says something again, which is very silly to me. And he basically says, we've, we've seen God, now we're going to die. Now he's using the word of God, but he's not using any logic at all. Why would God reveal to his wife and himself that they're going to have a son, that his wife's been barren? He's just, God's just accepted his offering and now he's thinking, oh, I can remember a bit of the Bible. Doesn't it say that if you see God, you'll die? And after all this direction, after God answering his prayers, Manawa's back to confusion again. After just being answering his prayers, Manawa is twisting it all around and now he thinks God's going to kill him because he saw God. But thank God for godly women. And his wife says, why would God reveal all these things to us? And this is in verse 23, and then to kill us. So his wife talks a bit of sense there, and it seems as if she has got more of a connection with God than Manoah had. So now we move on to um, Samson's birth, and God blessed Samson, and he begins to move on him when he's in within, within the camp of Dan, and that is in um, 25. So... Samson is growing now, he's under this veil of a Nazarite, and God begins to move within him in power within the camp of Dan. Now remember, the tribe of Dan were to judge Israel, as we've said. And um, God starts to move first within that tribe, that group of people. And God's blessing is always first for his people. You might get blessed... But his blessing is for his people. So God is blessing Samson to bless others. And that's, um, you know, if we move in the blessing of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit as church Christians today, it's to bless other people. And it's going to happen first within our camp, our camp, the tribe of Dan, which is Bethel Free Baptist Church. And it's no good, you know, God's going to bless you to bless others. Just as Samson was of the tribe of Dan, and God first started to move when he was within that tribe, and he says he moved with power in the Holy Spirit. So if we move and are blessed by the Holy Spirit, it's going to affect other people, and it's going to affect our church family as well, and we're going to start to bless people because God wants to bless. And um, in verse uh, 25... As we, if we're looking at that, it says that um, the spirit of the Lord began to move on him. Samson, if you like, was not some like muscle-bound, you know, bodybuilder like uh, Schwarzenegger. He was the source of his supernatural power was from God for God's glory. And um, at this point in Samson's life, he was a bundle of potential. We've said that he would got that pretent- that, that potential pretent- uh, of being just like John the Baptist, the greatest prophet that ever lived, caught from birth. So he's like this little bundle of potential that's going to bless Israel. And we kind of like know the end of the story, don't we? So we can cheat a little bit. And um, we know that it's not going to end in a happy story at all. And... His life was a tragedy. It was just a complete tragedy. He went from a hero to zero, you know, time and time again. He was um, bold before men and then he was weak before women at night, you know. He, he wanted to, um, he had the Holy Spirit upon him and he often lived according to the flesh. Um, he was called to de- declare war on the enemies of God and... um. He ended up just fraternizing with them and playing games with them. And, um, you know, he broke God's law by night and tried to fight God's battles by day. And um, if you'd have said at this point in Samson's life, when he was young, that the sin he would do at his end would be so great, he wouldn't have even thought he was capable of so many sins. But we've got we've got the word of God, haven't we? And we know what we know what he did and how he flirted with the Philistine women and many sin prostitutes he went with and all these great sins. So that's Samson, but where you're sitting in your seat, there's also three people sitting there as well. There's the person you are right now, there's the person you could be for God, and there's the person you could be for the flesh or the devil. You know, you could never be that potential, just like Samson was. Or are you going to walk according to the spirit, according to the flesh? And, you know, if we walk in the spirit, it says we won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. That's in Galatians 5, isn't it? And Samson's there. God's just starting to bless him. Samson's just starting to move in the power of the Holy Spirit. And it was first within the tribe of Dan. And we need to ask ourselves, how are we moving within Bethel Free Baptist Church? How is God blessing me so I can bless others? So we're going to move on now to uh, chapter 14. And if you notice in verse 1 of chapter 14, which we read, it says, went down, doesn't it? He went down. It's now that Samson starts... His downward spiral from blessing down 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 to sin Samson moved away from the tribe of Dan where God's blessing was where God was going to teach him God's his ways and moved down to sin and it's here that he saw a woman a Philistine woman from Timnath and sin you know the longest journey just you know you've got to start that journey with one step and it's the same with sin you know sin will always take you down you know we know within the psalms the psalms of ascent come let us go to the house of the lord all them are going up to god everything else is going down to sin and that's what samson's done he says he went down he went down from god's ways down from the tribe of dan down from where god was going to teach him and bless him and down to sin and because he went down, he saw this woman from Timnath and um, he asked his father and his mother, get her for me for a wife. Now, the first step in his downward journey was to look for a wife outside of his people. Now, it was, um, God had given them commandments, hadn't he, to not intermarry. And because Samson went down in the wrong place, he saw a woman, the woman pleased him, and he says, get me that woman, I want to marry her. And um, the first, step, the first uh, step in his downward journey was to look for a woman outside his people. Um, in verse um, 14, two, it says, he saw a woman, and then he, he says, I have seen a woman, in verse 3, get her for me, for she pleased me well. Now, we can't see this in the English Bible, but in the Hebrew, it's more like saying, she pleases me in my eyes. It's exactly the sin that the book of Judges is saying you shouldn't do. She pleases me in my eyes. I want her. She pleases me always. eyes. Go and get her for me. Instead of listening to God's commandments and saying, you know, honor your father and mother for one, you know, and not intermarrying. But he's going that downward journey to sin and he's going to fall. He's just going to keep going down and down and down and from worse to worse and worse. So that she pleaseth me well. It's the sin of the book of Judges, doing what he thought was right in his own eyes. And it was all about the eye of, you know, he saw her. There wasn't no, oh, she's got a nice spirit or she's, she's, you know, really gentle. It was just the outward appearance of this woman that drew him. And we know that that's complete stupidness to just look on the outward appearance of someone and to take them. God's interested in the heart, isn't he? He's not interested on the outward appearance, I mean, I do believe that, you know, that, that person that God wants you to marry, you will find them outwardly attractive, but it's, that's not the thing that we've got to seek for, because, you know, um, it's just not, not the right thing to do. So, um, Samson commits the sin of the book of Judges. She pleases me in my eyes. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes, and Samson is doing what he thinks is right in his eyes. Now, um, in 2 Corinthians 6:14, it says there, "Do not be unequally yoked." And this comes the first place about something being unequally yoked comes from the book of Deuteronomy 22:10, and it says, "Don't ox together an ass and an ox together." And the reason for that is because the four you know, the way that you play the ground, it's going to be all over the place. The furrows are not going to be straight because, you know, you've got two imbalanced people in the um, pulling the cart. So the first place that it mentions about being unequally yoked is in the book of Judges to do with an ox and an ass, and they're going to just bend all the furrows round and go all squiggly in their furrows. But in the New Testament it says, don't be unequally yoked. Um, And in verse 3, Samson doesn't listen to the godly counsel of his parents, and they say, isn't there a wife from your people? Isn't there a wife from the, you know, even from the tribe of Dan? Isn't there anyone from there and he says again, "Now she pleases me well. She looks good in my eyes. He says, no, there's not. Because he's looking, from, he's looking on the outward and not being obedient to God. And being obedient to God, God's going to bless you. Um, Samson was just looking on the outward, having no mind for God's ways. It's a very dangerous thing to seek a wife or a husband who's not a Christian. Just talk to those that are saved and their wife's not a Christian or their husband's not a Christian and you ask them about their marriage. It says, "Don't be unequally yoked." What, what fellowship has light got with darkness? You know, I mean, God does put a special blessing on that marriage. That's, you know, He says that their children are sanctified; otherwise, they'd be accursed. You know, so there is a special blessing on them children. But you talk to the um, the, the husbands and the wives whose other half is not saved, and you find out how odd it is to be part of that marriage, and um, they are unevenly yoked. And God wants to, you to be delivered from this unevenness. You know, you want to be, might be telling your child one thing and they totally disagreeing with it. Yeah, one thing you've got to do with children is at least you both got to disagree if you've got no chance of, you know, they will just twist you around your little finger if you don't agree on a, a certain thing. So, you know, what, what has the light got to do with darkness? And, you know, seeking a wife or a husband outside of God's ways... You know, it might be all hunky-dory for the first few months, but believe me, you know, when you start really getting down to it, it's just going to be a, you know, there's a light and darkness. How can they mix together, you know? But also, this applies in business as well. You know, don't be unequally yoked in business, kind of like ventures. I know that we, you know, the majority of us work for other people, and, you know, sometimes that can be a bit challenging. but I'm talking about actual partnership where they have a say in where the business is going and money and all them kind of things, not working for people that are unsaved. You know, it's the same kind of thing there that you can't really go into business with someone who's not a Christian because you're going to try and honour God in what you do and they're going to try and make money. You know, you might be more concentrating on the de- deliverance of a good job and they might be thinking, how hey, much profit you are going to make? You know, and I mean, um, I know a Christian in brackets it went into partnership with a muslim you know to me that's just crazy how can they be possibly you know well there you go there's just going to be a mess for you and that's this is what samson's doing he's seeking a wife outside of his people he shouldn't be unequally yoked you know a threefold rope is very strong and it's not easily broken god the husband and the wife they're really strong together because that's what god says but when you start splitting them apart, that rope, it's just really weak and flimsy and it's not doing its job. So his, his mom and dad are trying to point him away from this marriage. Don't. Isn't there someone from your own tribe that you can marry? Um, Samson should have listened to his parents because we know in the Ten Commandments that it says, Honour thy father and thy mother, that their days may be long upon the earth that the Lord give thee. And uh, some weeks back, it might have even been maybe a month back now, Pastor Larry on a Wednesday night, he went through the Ten Commandments, didn't he? And um, he pointed out to us that this is the first commandment with a promise, isn't it? It says long life is that promise. If you honour your father and your mother, you'll have long life in the the land that you're given. And um, Samson turns his nose up at this advice. He says, no, go and get her for me. There's now kind of like, it's like a very arrogant... No, she pleased me well in my eyes. Go and get her for me. And um, Samson dies young, doesn't he? Under a pile of rubble in a Dagon temple, crushed by the, the rubble. You know, I wonder whether he even knew that this was going to happen to him later on in his life, from this direct disobedience to God's ways. But everyone did what was right in their own eyes, and so did Samson. And he went off, and he didn't listen to... Uh, to his parents. Now, if we look in verse four, this could seem quite confusing. But his father and his mother knew not that the Lord um, sought occasion against the Philistines, for it was at that time that the Philistines had dominion over them. Now, it's as if God is kind of saying, "Do this sin, and I'm going to bless you." But it's not. It doesn't. It doesn't mean that at all. Even though sometimes we might think it's saying that, we need to really have a look at it and see what it is actually saying. And it does, on face value, seem quite confusing. It looks as if God is gonna bless Samson for sinning, but we know that can't possibly be true, can we? God can't bless you for sinning. You know, you're gonna reap consequences for sin. Um, But the best way to look at it is, God is gonna use this situation for his glory. Even though it's a sinful action, he's gonna use the whole situation to bring about a situation where he can bless. And that's the best way of looking. So um, God is allowing this to seek more of an occasion against the the Philistines to deliver more people away from the Philistines. So he's allowing this to happen. But he's not blessing him. He's using that situation for his own ends, isn't he? And um, if we look in um, in verse 5, here we go again. He went down. So he's off again, he's down even into his sin again. And um, he came to the vineyards of Timnath and behold, a young lion roared against him. And um, in verse 5, Samson breaks his vow, doesn't he? And, And if you look, you know, it's again, it says he went down to the vineyards of Timnath. Now, we've already pointed out what the Nazarite vow was. The part of the Nazarite vow was not to eat the fruits of the vine. And now Samson finds himself in a vineyard with grapes growing everywhere. And, um, and this is the, the same place where this lady's from that he's seeking to marry. And it's Samson there. He's even flirting with his sin, isn't he? He's like flirting with it. It's, got, it's, it's not really, um, it's not standing out to him as sin. And he's kind of like flirting with him all around him but he's unaware that the sin within him is taking over isn't he 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 can't see that it's it's going down and down and it's taking control of him and he finds himself in a place where he shouldn't have even be you know he shouldn't have eaten the fruit of these these grapes and he's there actually in a vineyard now samson now he's just going into high gear now he's going right into his sins He's losing complete focus on God, and he's just falling down and down and down into a spiral of sin. And um, you know, I'm I'm really sorry to say this, but if you're an, an unsafe person here today, that's describing your life. You you're flirting with sin. You have got no idea that sin is controlling you. You're on you're in that kingdom of darkness. And just like Samson here, he's kind of maybe even enjoying it a little bit. You know, we know from the New Testament that. There's, there is pleasure in sin. You know, there is that pleasure. But at the end, it's just going to bring about devastation and horribleness and confusion and blindness. And Samson here is flirting with that sin. And, you know, and he's, he went down to this vineyard. And just as he's in this vineyard, what appears for a young lion? Now, this lion comes against him. And this is, it says a lion in his prime. This is a young, fit, healthy, top of the notch lion. It's, I think there's about five different words that describe different lions in the Hebrew. And I don't even understand this one, so I've got no other chance to But this means a healthy, young lion that's seeking, a, you know, some other little lionesses to make a, a pride altogether. It's a really fit, healthy lion. Now, if we look in um, James 1, 14 and 15, And it says there, every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And when lust has conceived, brings forth sin. And when sin is finished, it brings forth death. Now, we need to point out that sin will always bring death. And usually, this was Samson's death ticket coming towards him. He's there in his sin. He's in a vineyard that he shouldn't be in. And this lion's coming for him. And anyone else who would just think, that's it, my life's ended. And when we flirt with sin, it always leads us, unfortunately, into more sin, which is what's happening with Samson, and then eventually death. And my cry to you today, if you're not a Christian, you might even be unaware that you're flirting with sin, and I'm sad to say some Christians flirt with sin, and we shouldn't be doing it. We should be holy unto the Lord. But if you're unsaved, because of the old nature, you're unaware of this sin nature that's in you you've got no choice over sin you flirt with sin you're in your sin and God wants to save you from that death that's coming save you from that penalty of death and that way in which you're saved is to come to the Lord Jesus Christ ask for forgiveness and he'll put your name in the Lamb's Book of Life and you will receive that Holy Spirit from within that will teach you all things that will give you direction and it's that seal that's within you that proves that you're a Christian but we're back to this line aren't we Now we know from 1 Peter 5.8 that the who is like a lion roaring around seeing who he can devour, Satan or the devil. So I think this here is a picture of sin and a picture how the devil can draw sin and the devil wants to bring about death. And the devil is seeking people who he can devour And when we sin, we're in the devil's kingdom, aren't we? You know, we're just there right in his territory. Now, the lion attacks Samson, and in verse 6, God graciously gives him that supernatural strength to tear this lion in half. It's very important. If you read there in verse 6, Samson had nothing in his hands. He did it with his bare hands, didn't he? Our only victory over sin and the devil can't be from us. It can't be anything that we use. It can't be our tools. It can't be our... It's got to come from divinely from God. There's, no, there's nothing that we can make that can deliver us from sin. And in Zechariah 4.6, it says, Not by might, nor by my power, but my, my spirit, says the Lord, doesn't it? And it's through that spirit that we can have deliverance from sin. And... Just like Samson, you might be in your sin and not even know it. You might be flirting with your sin and not even know it. And in James 4, 7 it says, Submit yourselves to God, therefore, and resist to resist the devil and he will flee. In James 4, 7 it says, Submit yourselves to God, therefore, and resist the devil and he'll flee. We must always remember that we must submit to God. Samson v- there was a lifelong submission to God and God's ways. And so with us, we are Christians, and we're to be under God's submissiveness, we should be doing what God wants us to do. But so often this verse is misquoted, and they say, Resist the devil and he'll flee. And the submission to God's taken out of the way. That we can't, there's nothing within us, just like Samson had that victory without anything in his hands. We need to submit to God, and God deliver us from our sin. And um, we need to be submissive to God and not think that we can fight the devil on our own because when they were fighting over the body of Moses, remember? You know, it said, the Lord rebuke you, you know, over the body of Moses. So the devil has got, you know, a lot of power, but nothing in comparison to God. So we need to submit to God, and we won't being God's territory, the devil's territory. And um, so often that verse is misquoted. When we're walking with God in total subjection to him, the devil will always flee. He might try and shoot some fiery darts at us, but he's got no control of us at all. He might try and oppress from without, but he he won't be able to attack from within. When we're walking in that total subjection, the devil will always flee. And it's not by our power, but by God's power. At the um, end of verse 6, Samson keeps his victory um, from the lion, secret um, from his mom and dad. And uh, we'll just uh, draw it to a close now. So, like I say, we're going to be, I think Steve's preaching next week. So, um, the following week and the week after that. And by the look of it, another week, another month after that, we're going to keep going through Samson and um, pick out those interesting points that apply to us. But, you know, we're not saying as Christians that we don't sin. We can flirt with sin. We can be in places that we shouldn't be. But, you know, we're saved. You know, that death hasn't got no dominion over us. You know, that's the sting, where is thy victory? You know, but if you're not saved today, you know, you're just falling headlong into destruction and sin and ultimately separation from God in hell. And um, we have got the privilege of knowing Samson's end. You know, you haven't got the privilege of knowing your end. You know, sin binds, sin groins, sin blinds, you totally. You don't know where that sin going to lead you. But looking at Samson, we've got a good example of where he could lead you. And you desperately need to come to the Lord Jesus Christ and commit yourselves to God not under some Nazarite vow, but in total humility and ask God to forgive you. And God will graciously not put the Holy Spirit upon you, but he will give you the Holy Spirit from within and you'll be able to follow him in in truth. So thank you. Amen.